I'm done with certain things. I'm done watching horror movies too. Anybody still watch horror movies? <laughs> Only the old school ones, not this new paranormal activity shit. I'm tired of it. You pay 15 bucks to scare yourself. That's all you do. You just sit in the theater the whole time just... That curtain, I think that curtain moved. Did that curtain move? I think it moved. That's it for 25 minutes until the ghost is like, fuck this chair. Like that's all that happens. The entire movie, the ghost is like, I hate frames and bed sheets. It's a pissed off interior decorator. It's fucking move. And it's not even horror movies that scare me. It's afterwards it scares me, right? Like walking your car in the parking lot. That's scary, isn't it? You know, you leave the theater like, shit, why did we park so far? And if the further it is, even worse. You know what I do? I get on the phone with somebody. You ever do that? Really, like, just get on the phone. Meet somebody, talk to me, having a normal conversation, all right? We're just going to talk. I'm going to start skipping. Nobody can kill you when you start skipping. I'm going to start skipping. You get in the car and you do a little pat down in the back seat. You ever do that move, the little pat down? But you don't look back there. You don't turn your face because you know as soon as you do, knife to the head. That's why you don't do it. Because you know there's a midget serial killer back there like, ah. As soon as he looks back here, I'm going to get him. Everything is scary after horror movies. You go home, you got to pee, you go to the restroom, and the shower curtain's closed. Right? You're like, not tonight. Not going to pee in here. Some bull. I'm going to go pee in the kitchen sink. Who closed the shower curtain? Even if it's halfway closed, it freaks you out. Because you know the killer did that on purpose and stand in there holding his breath like stabby, stabby, get closer. You got to jump for hallway lights. Ah, like... <laughs> and if there's no double light switch, that light's staying on. I'm sorry. Horror movie night, got to sleep like this. Hands right next to your body. Tucked in like a burrito. Every other night, who gives a shit? Hands stretched out. Who cares? Horror movie night, nope, like this. And then right before you get go to bed, you always hear like, oh. Grab your cell phone and try to light the room with the worst possible light ever. You know what my biggest fear is? Is that one day I'm gonna be like, nothing, nothing, eyes. Oh my God! Oh God, it knows I saw it. And it knows I have no signal. Ah! SLS Cast with your hosts Matt and Tim. <laughs> welcome, welcome, one and all, to episode ninety nine of the SLS Cast. It is our second annual. Hollywood Horror Cast edition of the show, and also the Ten Green Bottles episode, because the United States folk song dating to the mid-20th century, known as 99 Bottles of Beer, is derived from the English song Ten Green Bottles. (laughs) <laughs> you do that too well like do you freak your kids out when you laugh like that i can 
Yes, I can. This is Matt, by the way, and happy Halloween to you. Yes, happy Halloween. Halloweeny. Happy Halloweeny. <laughs> yes, it's 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 a timber treat, as it were. <laughs> oh, I'm in a goofy mood this Halloween season, which is, which is nice. And I, are you dressing up like anything this year? Uh, yeah, I, I'm dressing up like a pizza man. Because you're working that night, hopefully. Yes. Yes. Oh, I work every Halloween. It's like the, it's like Black Friday for everybody else. <laughs> oh, like it's Black Friday for the pizza delivery guys. Right. Okay. It's the busiest day of the year. Huh. Well, that's good. Yeah. There's a Papa John's nearby. I might uh, do you guys a favor and just stay home and lock my doors. Uh, and well, until the pizza arrives, and I'm gonna have to uh, lock my door <laughs> to get the pizza well as long as you you should probably uh depending on when you want your pizza like if you wanted your pizza say around seven o'clock you should probably go ahead and place that order around four yeah when you know because it's gonna take a while for your pizza to get there well, but, I, I don't uh, know i think so, most of the people around here are going to be in the west hollywood halloween parade that we do here we're like five hundred thousand people effing show up to this parade and at least 500,000 people were there last year and the year before. But now that it's on a Friday, man, I can't imagine how many drunken men wearing fairy costumes are going to be lying on the side of Santa Monica Boulevard on Saturday morning. I wouldn't even venture a guess. A lot. There will be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but back to your original question. Um, yes, I can scare the living bejesus out of my children. If I so choose. A matter of fact, I even scared the piss out of one kid. My brother and I, uh, back in 1996? Way back yeah. in 1996. Yeah, it was only 18 years ago. Give me a break. I'm trying to think. So my, uh, we had the house to ourselves on Halloween. And Halloween happened to be like, I don't know, Thursday or something, right? And we were living in these townhouses and stuff. And um, and so we're, we decided, hey, well, we'll do some Halloween activities. And so we took my sister's karaoke machine and bumped it up to the window upstairs. And then my brother uh, sat down in the dark hiding behind the door and so I was coaxing them with my evil laugh, right? And bringing, you know, and telling people, oh, come, come, one and all, blah, 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 right? You know, doing all this, <laughs> right? So we're doing all that. And then these kids actually do come with, like, mom and dad. And then um, we had it tripped so that as soon as they knocked on the door, um, the door would open and then the Thriller song would play with the whole... Right, right, and then you know, and Thriller starts pounding around and scaring the shit out of because it it's really loud. And then my brother's sitting there with laser pens or the you know the little laser dot things or whatever. Um, and then shining them, and then pelting the can, throwing the candy at them, and yeah, and the kids started freaking out, screaming and crying. One kid got hit like in the face with the candy. Uh, the parents were. I, you know, at the time I thought they were just, you know, fucking tools who were overreacting like a lot. But now, 
I could see why they might have been a little pissed off. Um, you know that? You yeah. could have gotten arrested for that. They came to our house, motherfuckers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's, that's kind of like that's kind of like Jigsaw saying that. You know, I had every right to torture all these people because they're just. No, stupid. he kidnapped them first. Hang on, he kidnapped them first, and that was illegal. I know. As far but as it, I'm concerned, you come to my house and knock on my door, and then get candy thrown at you on Halloween because you came to my house and knocked on my door. I'm sorry, it's your own damn fault. Hold on, hang you on, hang on, Republican. Candy. You're missing one piece of information there. What's that? Hold on, Fox News. They came to your door after mm-hmm. you were coaxing them to come to your door. Nobody said that they had to listen. I don't know, maybe they were having, like, an out-of-body, like, godly experience. Maybe they thought, you know, maybe if I don't do this, Jesus will not love me anymore. (laughs) Yeah, because of all of the days on the calendar, this is the most holiest of church days. (laughs) You should be listening to God and saying, maybe I should go to the strange person's house making weird noises and maniacal laughs. Because if I don't... Jesus won't love me anymore. That, you know what? I, I, You should probably start a cult with that. I think people would come. And then you could pelt them with candy. And then they'd be like, but you told me to come. And I'm like, that's God. <laughs> the maniacal Jesus laugh you. cult. Jesus loves you. Here's a Jolly Rancher. Here's a Jesus Rancher upside the fucking head. <laughs> Will it be shaped like the Jesus from Clerks? Or nah, nah, nah. That'd be too hard. Just a simple cross. I think, just, you know. Nothing like the classics. See, that would be make a great scene in a horror movie, in a religious horror movie, <laughs> where somebody is murdering people with a Jesus lollipop that's in the shape of a cross, <laughs> and it gets stuck in their forehead, and they're just running around. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What flavor would it be, though? It wouldn't be like sour apple. That just doesn't seem no, right I, I would think. I would think if, if you're really going to go for the full uh, sacrilegious thing... It would probably have to be some kind of like communal wine flavored or maybe like a grape juice flavor <laughs> for those people who, you know, don't do the whole wine thing. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, oh, I know. Oh, it would have to be like a candy, right? That's hard and pointy and, and like tastes like some kind of wine in the middle. But it's like doughy on the outside so that you can get the actual body and blood of Christ impaled into your face when you get, you know, in the cross. and throw Yeah. I think that would work. <laughs> you would, and then, oddly enough, and you then put a lot of you thought could into pull that the, the fucking thing out. You could, but but you could pull it out, and then it's a cross, and you could scare vampires with it. Yeah. So, I, you know, we're, it it it's a multifaceted tool because that's the logic. Because after you get the blood of Christ sprayed in your, or what you think is the blood of Christ sprayed in your face, after you thought you were eating a, <laughs> you know. Just a regular old non-healthy sugar-laden lollipop. That's right. Vampires the, the power, come to mind. The power of the Jesus Rancher compels you. And there, <laughs> and there you go. Oh well. Uh, well, like I said earlier, I, I'm going to probably come home and lock the door because the past two Halloweens, I've either a uh, almost been assaulted by a hobo, uh, b gotten a hobo's Coca-Cola pee thrown at me. And C, got caught in the middle of a gunfight. D, got caught in the middle of a police raid on... And and the police... It was the mountain police, which made it more ridiculous, because who would have known? 
uh, in the middle of, of Hollywood, the mounted West Hollywood police galloping around and trying to solve crimes on, on, a, on a Thursday evening, All Hallows Eve. But, you know, one thing that I look forward to is that it's a, the company's Halloween party the Thursday before. And I went online to look for not, like, two horrific-looking costumes, but I found one of those costumes where it can, it can play both sides. It can be super-duper innocent, but it can be really creepy. It's like a, good, a really good clown costume or clown mask that could, that could be really cute and sweet. But then, like, it can be really demented if you put a little blood and maybe, you know, hold a knife while wearing it. So I went online and I found a Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man costume. And that's what I'm going to be wearing. I'm going to be dressed up as the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. That's awesome. Now, if I could, I, but my problem, my problem, my problem with my dream costume, do you have any idea how hard it is to find green pants? I need green pants. I have everything else. Robin Hood? Go. No. Peter Pan? Peter fucking Griffin. Come on. I've got green pants. I would be the, I would be the ultimate Peter Griffin. Yeah. I'm telling you. We had to have the ball section. Do you have a ball section? If you do, I've never noticed it before. Well, I mean, you can tape the ball sack chin up there. Now, do but they I mean, have a me? prosthetic ball sack chin, or do you have to, like, tape prosthetic balls to your chin? I don't know. Maybe we could get in touch with uh, Hugh Jackman, and he might still have his prosthetic from movie 42 or 43 or whatever the fuck it was. That you we actually referenced that horrible movie. <laughs> well, that was, like, the only good part, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, yeah. But but yeah, do you want to watch some interesting, a couple interesting little videos that I sent you? Sure. So the first one, it's it doesn't really pertain to Halloween, but it pertains to to people dressed up in costumes here in Hollywood, and I just kind of want to get your commentary on it. And especially if you listen to the newscast, I think it's about a minute and a half. Oh uh, well, I've got two here, and I pulled up the first link, and it says Walk of Fame brawl. Freddy Krueger and Chewbacca breakup. Yep, that would be it. That's it, okay, because it's got four minutes and 29 seconds. Yeah, it's just the first, you just need to watch the first couple minutes or minute and a half or something. All right, here we go. And, and, and apparently we're going to see some badassery here between Freddy Krueger and Chewbacca. It's mainly, it's not necessarily that, more so the uh, how it's being uh, talked about. Okay. Who gets body slammed by Mr. Incredible? Freddy Krueger and Chewbacca try to keep the peace. Another brawl breaks out between costume characters on Hollywood Boulevard. Mr. Incredible. Good evening, I'm Paul Majors. And I'm Pat Harvey. And only on CBS2, safety on Hollywood's Walk of Fame is called into question again after costume characters who work there started throwing punches. Okay, the look on this lady's face is like just pure I am dead inside. It's like I cannot believe my life has come to this. I was inspired by Walter fucking Cronkite. And here I am talking about Batgirl getting body slammed by Mr. Incredible at the Walk of Fame. (laughs) The the look on her face is like, fucking kill me now. (laughs) Why? Dear God, why? Someone pass me a Jesus rancher right now. CBS 2 Suzanne Marquez is live in Hollywood now with the video oh, that the LA Suzanne Marquez is looking pretty damn serious. Suzanne. 
Yeah, the videographer who shot this film says he didn't see the police out here tonight when this film. all went down. Who Nobody knows known the identity Hollywood? of these people. We don't know how the yeah. fight broke out. The videographer says he heard a commotion and just started to roll. I like how they talk for. The I like how they talk for. The videographer says that he heard a commotion and just started to roll. I'm pretty sure that this guy was like, "Yeah, I heard this commotion and, and, the you, and I just the had to roll." I was, you know, because I'm a videographer and I take myself seriously. So I just thought, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm just and There was Mr. Incredible body slamming Batgirl in front of the Chinese theater because that's where. And like flips her onto the sidewalk. <laughs> Bystanders Freddy Krueger was there. Freddy Krueger was trying to break up the fight. No characters Chewbacca out tonight saw the fight, which the videographer says happened around 5 p.m. But this guy. So what should I call you? I, what do you go by? Filmon.com. He says much wow. like comic How'd you like to be known for that? Yeah, I work for uh, Filmon.com. Really? What? Well, you you know, we were actually really big. Um, we got an exclusive deal with CBS uh, <clears throat> affiliate uh, where they uh, showed Chewbacca and uh, Freddy Krueger. Uh, stopping a fight between Batgirl and uh, Mr. Incredible. It's like one step down. It's like one step down from Troy fucking McClure. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So this was a fun video. All right. That that's fun and exciting, I guess. Now the second one is about a haunted house in San Diego called McKinley. I think it's McKinley Manor or Mancanley Man. Manor or whatever. And a uh, real quick before we watch this video, it's a little long. You can stop it, you know, whenever I guess, or if you want to watch the whole thing. It's really interesting concept because. You don't have, you don't pay a price. Oh, you pay a price, but you don't pay anything to go inside. <laughs> you sign some waivers. They don't ask you. I mean, you, I don't know if there's like a donation or whatever. It's just the one caveat to not having to pay anything to go into this haunted house. The one caveat is that they can touch you and do whatever the hell they want to you. And there, I mean, I think technically, well, I mean, you can never keep anybody there out of, against their will, but really, if you say you want to get out of there, it'll take a lot of, like, begging for them to actually let you out of this thing early. And this haunted house lasts between two to four hours. So, uh, enjoy. All right. Times. As you can see, I'm bloody, soaking wet, and terrified. Oh, wow. Los Angeles Times Entertainment reporter says, I'd like to think I've seen it all. And yet he has not, clearly. Hmm. I've never experienced anything like McKamey Manor. San Diego's premier home home. <laughs> Interesting. It's just a bunch of people screaming. And... Yeah. Oh, wow. Actually making them puke and stuff. More extreme, more intense, more terrifying. 
I guess... Okay. Alright. I've made it through about a minute and 16 seconds of this. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Really? Just... There's no way someone's going to literally be all like, oh, I'm totally down for this. Yeah, you can't scare me. And then be all like, let me out. And they're going to be like, no. <laughs> so would you ever try it? No, I'm not going to sit there and sign my life away so that I can get covered in make-believe feces, be made to fucking vomit, covered in fake blood, uh, and bullied around by people. Now, I might be the person who would run something like this, but <laughs> I would never volunteer for this. is just stupid. I Don't get me wrong. I'm all about a nice haunted house and a cool haunted house experience, but this is just dumb. I mean, you know, uh, yeah. So did you get Covered to the part where the tape. guy opened, like, he has his face in a toilet and shit Yeah, just... oh yeah, the toilet explodes. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean... Or the people that have to wear the cages on their heads as snakes are being yep. put on top of them. Yep, they got all the way... Uh, that was right where I stopped, was right after that. How about where the guy, where, like, this bald dude shows up with these rotten, uh, well, rotten-looking eggs and force-feeds it down these people's mouths, or into their nope. mouths? didn't make it that far. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd share this. It's weird. Yeah. It's also interesting to see somebody get eaten by a, eaten by a couch. Also, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't do it for me. Not like that, anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, now that we have definitely um, scared away, and I don't even think like figuratively. I'm pretty sure people are just literally scared of us at this point. Should we move on, or should we just continue down this very creepy road that we're on? Uh, we should most definitely move on <laughs> for the sake of oh. everybody. I think everybody's just like, let's just get Halloween over with. Thanks for ruining <laughs> yeah, pretty, it. Everybody that's okay. Well, we made it. You know how Matt made it five or like a minute and 16 seconds into that video? I made it 20 minutes and 22 seconds, and now I'm done. <laughs> we'll try again next week. Uh, all right, then. Here we go, folks. Shifting gears. Going to... The News. Life. Even my business, the movie business. Like, it's certain movie roles. Black people, we just don't get a lot of... Like, I noticed since the late 90s, horror movies made a hell of a comeback. White people, y'all get all the horror flicks. Y'all get the Chucky and I Know About Last Week and all that shit. I used to get mad and say, how come you don't see black people in horror movies? Then I put it together. You can't make horror movies with us. Because it ain't going to be a movie. It's going to be a fucking commercial. <laughs> black people, y'all know we don't fuck around. We can be having a party in the woods jamming. I don't give a fuck how loud the music is, how much fun we having. If we hear some shit that don't sound right, it'll cut through all that shit. We be out there dancing like, woo, this shit is hot. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I don't know, nigga, but we got to pack it up and roll. This shit don't feel... Wait, people, y'all could be out there dancing. Y'all dance like two-year-old black babies. Y'all hear some shit? What was that? I don't know. Let's go check it out. And why do white women fall when y'all run? What's that shit about? Every time, it's just, oh, my God. Black woman hear something. She take off the pumps and put on Air Jordans. She might start out running, but that bitch is going to turn into NASCAR like... Ugh. White guys are faithful. Your ladies fall. Y'all go back. 
Black women, we love you, but if you fall, <laughs> fuck it. All right, Ming. You want to go first? You want me to go first? What do you want to do? Uh, yeah, I can go ahead and go first. Why not? Okay, so we've All been right, talking... All right, knock yourself out. We've been talking... Third time lucky. Well, and see, what, what's kind of tripped me out is that my stomach is making these really funky noises, so I can't... So not only am I feeling like I'm interrupting you, but I also think I'm interrupting my stomach from doing its... noise. You should get your mic down on that shit, bro. Do you want to you listen to it? I do. I do. Come on, let's creep out. Let's. Let, we're, we're already gone down the creep out road. Come on. I don't know, it's not you doing know. it now. We'll do the podcast equivalent of putting somebody's face in a toilet as it explodes shit on them. Take it away, Tim's stomach. So the Oculus Rift, Shafty Rift, (laughs) uh, we've talked about it before. It's the immersive 3D virtual reality experience. It's where you put on this, actually, any 80s, early 90s movie that, that pertains to virtual reality... That's kind of the experience that they're going for. You put on this big virtual reality headpiece thing, and then you go into whatever you're jacked into. Well, this film called Banshee Chapter, that's Banshee Chapter, will be the first Oculus Rift movie. This is an article from ScreenCrush.com written by Jacob Hall, and it says this. Even if you remotely follow the world of technology and video games, you've surely heard of the Oculus Rift, the virtual reality device that's poised to change the way people experience interactive media. Now, in a movie that could be historical or foolhardy, the indie science fiction film Banshee Chapter will be the first film available to watch on the Oculus. Here's what that means. To watch the movie, you'll put on this headset, which completely blocks all sight. The movie, which will be presented in 3D, will play right in front of your face, and the Oculus will treat the space of the movie as an actual environment, allowing you to look around and observe the action as you watch. Uh, Now, there's a video on here. It's about 2 minutes and 25 seconds. If you guys want to check it out, you definitely should. It's quite interesting. And it's also cool to listen to how not only smart these guys are that developed this film, but how like passionate they are to make it to, in making it a, a truly outstanding experience. And the article continues, Although we can't speak for how a horror movie will translate to the Oculus Rift, we have played horror games on the device before, and the results have been absurdly, unbearably terrifying. If watching a particularly intense movie can translate well... This could be a very special, albeit probably niche, way to consume content in the future. The Oculus Rift has been in development for a couple of years, and still is only in a select few hands. But Facebook bought the company for $2 billion recently, which means that a commercial release is probably imminent. Some may say as early as 2015. So if you want to check out Banshee Chapter for yourself... The film is currently available through all the typical VOD outlets, but if you're one of the lucky few to currently possess an Oculus of your own, you can watch Banshee Chapter right now, free of cost. End all quotes. So what do you think, Matt? Do you think this is a, a cool idea? Or do you think it's another gimmick? I think this is... I think it's a little bit of both. I think that it is going to be gimmicking now because... Um, for all intents and purposes, the Oculus Rift, because it's not in an official release capacity as of yet, 
So they're still in beta testing, basically. And while the development kits for them are definitely better than the previous development kits that people that you always see in the YouTube videos and stuff that they did through their Kickstarter initially, it's still not going to be what we would get. Like if you go out on the market, it's going to be two hundred bucks. Right. That being said, so it's going to be gimmicky in that regard, but I don't think it's gimmicky or gimmickry, if that's the better word, for its own sake. I think that it's just yet another avenue to explore just like 3d has for better or for worse pretty much come to stay um i think it's just another avenue to explore in the development of the vr as we are going to know it thanks to oculus rift so i got nothing against it i mean sure i i is it going to be all that great i doubt it is it going to be Due to the very nature of the device, is it going to scare the living piss out of people, especially if they don't know what's coming or they haven't seen it? Oh, I imagine it will. Um, but is it the wave of the future? Only time will tell. But probably not. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I would try Banshee Chapter. If there was a fun, like, Indiana Jones Oculus Rift thing, or, I, I don't know, something... Like, Interstellar, possibly. I just don't know. Actually, they do have an Interstellar Oculus experiment that I think is traveling. I don't know if it's traveling the country or what. But uh, I forget if I talked about this or not. But it's where you sit in a chair and you're wearing the Oculus Rift. And you actually get to explore the space station up in space. And get to complete all these tasks and do, do really cool things like that. So I think at least in the video game industry... This is going to be something that will be really cool to look forward to. I just don't know how watching a movie with the Oculus Rift, unless it is like one of those, like a movie ride, you know, a ride film or whatever. That's fun, but I mean, but you don't want to sit down and watch a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour adventure movie or a sci-fi movie on the Oculus Rift because there is a narrative to the story. You know, there's stuff that you have to pay attention to. I mean, you don't want to be in it and just be like, oh, cool. Wow, man, the cracks on this wall look so real and so realistic. I can't touch them or smell them or do anything else but look at it. Cool. And that's it. So, I mean, I think in a way to where as like movie rides or the ride film, you know, experience, the four or even 4D experience with smells and scents, it can only go so far. But it's still really cool technology, though. I'm glad to see uh, people are actually working on it. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, first up for me, a trio of stories, all related because it's all director news. And it won't take me very long to get through them. (laughs) Uh, First up from Collider.com, courtesy of Evan Dixon. Brad Bird talks having to pass on Star Wars Episode Seven to finish Tomorrowland. Uh, Yeah. New York Comic Con marked the true arrival of director Brad Bird's new film, Tomorrowland, upon the global conscience. Uh, While the picture won't be out until May 22nd, uh, no one had seen anything from the film at all until the trailer and poster popped up at NYCC and Bird started doing press. During that press, Bird was asked what it was like to have to turn down Star Wars Episode 7 in order to work on his new film with George Clooney. And this is what he said, quote, For a moment there, I thought it would work out to do this and go right into it, and it wouldn't work. There was no way to make that schedule and give this film the attention it deserved. 
I know it's going to be terrific and everything, but I'm really happy to do this film. It's rare to do a film of size that's original, end quote. And of course, again, the film he's referring to is Tomorrowland, which if you haven't checked out the teaser trailer, you should check out the teaser trailer. It looks really fascinating. Um, I just, I don't know. I mean, granted, having something, your own version of an interstellar uh, in this day and age is so alluring and everything, but my God, to be the one to resurrect Star Wars, I don't think I could turn that down. I would have, I mean, wow. So props to him on that. Uh, Next up there, coming to us from Variety.com, courtesy of Dave McNary. Robert Rodriguez sues over unpaid $7.7 million for Sin City 2 and Machete Kills. Filmmaker Robert Rodriguez has sued the financiers of Sin City 2 and Machete Kills, alleging non-payment of $7.7 million. Quite frankly, that's probably more than fine. The suit was filed Friday in Los Angeles Superior Court by Rodriguez and his affiliate companies against Sergi Bezpalov, Marina Bezpalov, Madartico, Novama, Aldamisa Entertainment, and SC2 Productions. Sounds very European. I'm pretty sure they don't give a flying fuck. Ah, you know. Basically, he's saying they said that they had the money, that they'd be able to finance the movies and pay for them, and then they choked after production was started. And he is also saying um, that... uh, he um, he paid from his own pocket, uh, specifically on Machete Kills. Their side of the story is, dude, we paid him, and we've paid everything, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. Well, you know what happens? This is what happens when you make shitty movies. They lose money. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's that's too bad for him. All right, digitalspy.com, uh, courtesy of Hugh Armitage. This is the last little bit here. Warner Brothers seeks female Wonder Woman director. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Warner Brothers is on the hunt for a female director for Wonder Woman. The studio said uh, is said to be actively seeking a female filmmaker to take on the high-profile solo superhero film, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Female directors of superhero films have been in short supply. Rachel Talale directed the poorly received 1995 Tank Girl adaptation. Lexi Alexander directed 2008's Punisher Warzone. Patty Jenkins was attached to direct Marvel Studios' Thor The Dark World before being replaced by Alan Taylor. Um, In terms of Wonder Woman proper, Gal Gadot, of course, will be the will debut in the role of Wonder Woman in 2016's Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice. In the iconic superhero's first live-action appearance since the 1970s. And the film, the Wonder Woman film itself will be released in 2017. Um, I actually like Tank Girl. I mean, I understand it's a cult favorite now, but hey, I, I like that movie. And what do you think, Tim? Anything that you'd like to add, throw in, question about these three little stories? Well, I hope they choose wisely for a Wonder Woman director. And not, I, was, not- I, I can't... I'm sorry, go ahead. I apologize. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I was just going to say that, like, I just hope it's not one of those things where it's like, well, we have to get a woman director, so we, we have to find one that's the most qualified, but not qualified for the right reasons. And I, sure. I know I've said that before about 
various things and it turned out to be, oh, you know what, they picked the right person, you know, to do whatever job it was. But I can, I right. mean, I don't know, this is something that could uh, could definitely make or break this character being in her own uh, future movies, you know? Right, and I my, my biggest problem here is that I feel that... I feel a little bit like it's just this is just how it reads to me, and may, and I fully acknowledge that I might be misinterpreting or reading way too way the fuck too much into it. I feel like they're kind of pandering, like oh, it's a female character, so we better get a female director. I hope that's not the case, but um, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Directed Hurt Locker. Oh, uh, Bigelow, Catherine Bigelow. Big- Catherine Bigelow. I could see her directing this kind of a movie. Sure, yeah. I mean, she's definitely Personally. she's directed uh, all different kinds of movies. So, all right, sir, what do you got for us? All right, so uh, to continue on my Halloween hor well, I was about to say horny theme uh, instead of hoary theme, but I didn't want to say hoary because uh, I I didn't know if people would think I was talking about W H hoary and not H O hoary, but it came out horny. Continuing my horror themed movie news. Uh, first one being Cabin Fever. Turns out that uh, they are not going to be remaking... Okay, it's not going to be a Cabin Fever sequel. It's not going to be a Cabin Fever remake per se. It is going to be a Cabin Fever remake, but it's going to be using the same exact script of Eli Roth's 2002 Cabin Fever... Uh, I Actually, Cabin Fever movie that I haven't seen... But I know that it has a pretty good following. It did pretty well when it came out, especially when it was released on video. It, uh, again, came out in 2002. They're wanting to remake the movie with the exact same exact same script. And again, this was Eli Roth's breakout movie. You know, and he is still a pretty young guy. And this is what this article from Shock Till You Drop says. This is written by Spencer Perry. Eli Roth, to executive produce Cabin Fever Remake, will use same script. It says this. Armory Films, Cassian Elvis, and Contend have announced today that they have joined together to produce the remake of Eli Roth's horror thriller Hit Cabin Fever with Travis Zarini. Directing and Amory and, Re- and Pelican Point Media financing. The film must be reshot from the original 2002 version by Eli Roth and Randy Perlstein. Cassie Nellis will executive produce along with Eli Roth. The film has begun principal photography this past week in Portland, Oregon. Voltage Pictures is handling international sales on the film at the upcoming American film market. Cassian Elwes and CAA are representing the domestic rights. Cabin Fever follows in Eli Roth's original footsteps when a group of college students who rent a cabin in the woods to do some partying begin to fall victim to a flesh-eating virus, and all hell breaks loose. The original premiered at the 2002 Toronto International Film Festival, with Elwes involved in a massive bidding war for the film. This version will be shot from the exact same script that Roth directed 13 years ago as opposed to going through a long-delayed studio development process. Quote, Travis had an amazing vision for my original script, and as a scary movie fan, I really wanted to see it. I almost see this like restaging a play, and I'm excited to see what ideas Travis and the cast bring to it. 
They're all fans of the original and want to make a film that's a new classic, and I believe they will, says Roth, end quote. Now, jumping in real quick into my second horror movie news, again from shocktillydrop.com. This one caught me by surprise for sure, because when you look at a movie franchise, say like Saw, where it had a defining ending to it, a definite ending. You know, the, the Saw's legacy came, you know, came to an end. It was perfect. The movie ran for seven years, and it had an ending. It was lucky to even make, to even have made as much money as it did and be as popular as it was for seven years in a row. Well, it turns out, again from shocktillydrop.com, uh, in this article, exclusive producers believe it's time for a new Saw film. Offer time frame. This is written by Ryan Turek, and it says this, Saw is making its return to theaters for one week only, beginning October 31st. The occasion? Believe it or not, it's the 10th anniversary, and today, following a press conference for the film, I sat down with producers Mark Berg and Oren Kulis to reflect on the series. Inevitably, the discussion led to the future of Saw. Since the seventh and final chapter, Buzz of an Eighth Film has been omnipresent in the internet press. However, the producers have never commented on it. Would it be a sequel, a reboot, both a sequel and a reboot, with someone else carrying on Jigsaw's legacy? None of that has been decided, but both Berg and Cools believe that the time is right to get the ball rolling on another film, and it sounds like series creators James Wan and Lee Wanell might be along for the ride. Quote, James and Lee, when Saw came out, they were so afraid of being the Saw guys, Cools told Shock Till You Drop, and they were trying to make their own mark. Now they've made their own mark. They're very comfortable to come back. We're getting there. James and Lee are absolutely going to put their mark on it. End quote. Quote, who knows, Berg said, adding with a tinge of hope. We're getting closer. It's one of the reasons we agreed to do this again, Cools continued, referring to the first Saw's return to theaters. We kind of wanted to build it up. Our goal is to go to Comic-Con, not next summer, but the summer after, 2016, with our heads up saying, here we go, James and Lee are comfortable with the success they've had, and it's the time. James is in post on his movie, Lee's on post on Insidious Chapter 3, everyone has time, and it's time. Yada, 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 end all quotes. Matt, do you have any comments, questions, concerns about either Cabin Fever going full psycho, like the psycho remake that was shot, you know, shot for shot remake, or this uh, exclusive Saul Part 8 that uh, looks like will be happening in the next few years? As long as they don't add anything like they did with Psycho, with the psycho remake, because despite it being shot for shot, they, they did add a couple of things to it. Maybe it'll be okay. And then as far as Saw 8, they shouldn't do it. There you go. All right. And that is going to conclude the news. I believe now that the news is done, we should go to our discussions with Matt and Tim. This time on discussions with Matt and Tim. Matt and Tim discuss the ScreenCrush.com article, courtesy of Jacob Hall, the difference between a great horror movie and a great Halloween movie. 
And now, Discussions with Matt and Tim. <laughs> huh. You pulled that one again, eh? Yeah, figured, you know, hey, we could have some fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all right, so basically this is a, it's an op-ed uh, from ScreenCrush.com, again, courtesy of Jacob Hall, and a very well-written op-ed um, where this is a guy who considers himself to be, um, and, and I only use the word considers, I don't mean that in any kind of negative context, uh, I am just not familiar overall with his work or his uh, qualifications, so I merely go by the fact that it's an op-ed, uh, but he considers himself to be a horror aficionado, uh, to the point that he can uh, deconstruct mo- horror movies of the horror genre and be able to divine whether or not they are truly a horror movie or more along the lines of a Halloween style movie in the vein of what Halloween is supposed to be in real life. Scares that are fun, scares that you are a, that you are a part of, not that are happening to you. Uh, for example, when everyone is in the movie theater and the monster jumps out and everybody throws up the popcorn and has a good laugh about it. Uh, when you go to that haunted house and you've had that fun with people, obviously not the one, the, the McKay, me man or whatever. Um, and everybody's laughing about, uh, as, as, uh, is referred to in the article. Oh, you should have seen the look on your face. There are movies that elicit that response, and those qualify for Mr. Hall as Halloween films. And that's what he likes to do during the month of October. He likes to enjoy those movies to elicit the feel-good side and the fun nature and still have good scares of Halloween versus the slasher and true horror supernatural and just intense scary of the devil and everything that you get whenever. He elicits or he rather I'm sorry he doesn't elicit he posits the theory that the true king of this style of flick is Vincent Price. And I am inclined to agree. And as much as we had discussed House on Haunted Hill uh, last week, and I had included that in my three uh, squared for villains that I thought didn't act the part very well, he says that House on Haunted Hill is probably the best example of a true Halloween movie. I am inclined to agree. I think that... There is a difference, but I think that as much as he likes to take a look at this article, or he writes this article from the point of view of horror, you can have a horror movie anytime. And while everybody likes to focus on horror for the month of October due to Halloween, he likes to actually focus on Halloween for the month of October, much like people would like to focus on Christmas, like myself, during the season of Christmas. Um... I think that it's a perfectly fine theory, and I it's very well written, and I am inclined to agree that there is a difference, and that it can be as subjective as you want to a certain degree. Um, 
But all in all, I would have to say personally, this is just more or less of a fun read. Um, and was just kind of nice to get a different take on the idea of a horror movie and what it means to you. What do you think, Tim? What, what, did, you, what did you take away from this? Just one of those articles where you kind of wonder why why are you publishing this? Because I mean I, I can't you can't really criticize what I mean it's you can't criticize it because it's obviously this guy's opinion and it's a, and it's a good opinion to have. I mean I definitely agree with a, a lot that he said, but I think his reasoning was just kind of strange on, on a couple levels. For example, he says that Halloween to him isn't a Halloween movie. Because dread, terror, fear. But to me, Halloween is not, I mean, I might, it's not my favorite movie to watch around Halloween time, but it's definitely a Halloween movie because it plays off of the idea of, well, what do you do on Halloween? You go trick or treating. You know, you're a kid, you want candy, but when you grow, get older, you have other things on your mind. But also when you get older, you have to worry about dying. You know, somebody following you and slash, you know, slashing you into pieces and all this stuff. And, you know, so it kind of takes the idea of Halloween and makes it fun for people our age, you know, in their 20s and their 30s, you know, people in high school, 17, 18 years old, those, you know, who are finished with trick or treating and stuff. It's it's just fun. Like whenever the the Saw movies came out on Halloween, it's running tagline was you know it's halloween when it's saw and it was always fun yes saw is not a halloween movie i wouldn't consider it to be a halloween movie but it just it was just kind of fun to look forward to that on halloween but to me not only is the movie halloween like that and not only does it take place on halloween it also is kind of like how the vincent price movies used to be back in the 50s, back in the 60s, uh, or any of the horror movies in the in the 1940s. You got The Blob, uh, you know, even Psycho, which we talked about Psycho uh, last week, or and also, like, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from last year. You know, those types of movies are the horror movies that come out today. You know, it's just, of course, they've now they're bigger, they're bolder, they're scarier, they're gorier, they're grosser. So sometimes it's kind of difficult to come across a movie like Trick or Treat. So that, I mean, that's where I kind of don't really follow him. Because he talks about Vincent Price. And yes, he does, he does everything kind of like with a, with a, and he says he does everything like with a wink. You know, he knows he's having fun. It's about having a good time. It's not about dread. But that's kind of like how, I mean, again, with Halloween, it's not necessarily about dread. It's, it's a scary movie. Now, Saw is more of, like, gross-out dread. I mean, I totally agree with him with Trick or Treat, for sure. I don't know, that's kind of where I, where I stand with it. It just doesn't make too much sense. Well, I think I, I think the article itself succeeds in spurning or spurring discussion um, in and of itself. But, I mean, you have to remember, op-ed is short for opinion editorial. So, I mean, this is just this guy's opinion. And I think what... I I would have to say without a better reference to his work or why he feels qualified to say that he knows horror movies to the point that uh, he like other than referencing the fact that he likes to watch Halloween once a year um, uh, 
like he'll watch certain movies in in December or February or just whenever he feels like watching a horror movie. I I guess I would need to know a little bit more about him to understand why he feels it necessary to have this discussion. It is a good discussion to have. And again, just like you don't agree with his pick of Halloween on Halloween, um, but you could agree with things like trick or treat. And I can kind of see his overall point. Um, That's the beauty of discussions (laughs) with Matt and Tim. Yeah, is that uh, you know it, it's it's really just more about discussion for discussion's sake. Um, I don't know that necessarily that he even wanted to achieve anything, um, other than maybe to get people to think about it or talk about it. And I guess, Mister Hall, you have won, sir. But I do have one thing though that I, I kind of glossed over, but I do want to know uh, your opinion on. Uh, sure. He mentioned something about how with. A lot of the, I guess, grittier horror films that people do like to watch around the Halloween time is that the characters you become uh, you you become completely attached to these characters, but yet they're going through this this like frightening you know terrible scenario, and that it goes from you and what I'm getting from what he's writing like with Halloween or you know whatever you know horror movie like this. Uh, you become attached to these characters, so whenever they die, you just have, you just feel like too bad to really enjoy the movie. But you look at Trick or Treat, and I think if these movies are done right, I mean, how I think any movie is done right when it pertains to the supernatural or horror, or just any movie where people are in danger or in peril, you have to have somewhat of a connection with, with the character. And I'm gonna go back to Trick or Treat. I think, you are completely attached to those characters in Trick or Treat, no more and no less than those characters in Halloween, for example. Because, I mean, I don't know. they're not looking for crazy character depth, especially in Halloween. There's no crazy depth to really any of the characters. I mean, Mike, Michael Myers has, you know, depth to him, but it's like, you know, it's just to set up the creepiness of the movie, you know? Oh, wait, you're not supposed to root for Michael Myers? Well, shit. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, so, okay. So my, my only issue with what you're, with that particular line of thought is that while we are still under the overall umbrella of horror, I feel like a little bit like you're comparing apples to oranges. And the reason, and, and the reason why I say that is Trick or Treat is a very cleverly framed anthology, but it's an anthology nonetheless. And it's a little bit difficult in an anthology to kind of, pick and choose the characters you're going to particularly root for because it's not designed to have that effect. Whereas in a slasher movie, um, you are theoretically supposed to care about certain people or especially the individual focus of the flick. Um, but the, the slasher nature by the slasher genre by its very nature is pretty much everybody's going to die. Um, so don't bother getting attached to anybody. So I find it kind of hard to um, say that it's an, that there should be any attachment to characters at all. Um, but especially when you're kind of two different style of two different styles of film. I don't know. Am I making sense? I feel like I may have just lost myself. 
My train of thought is still boarding at the station. <laughs> Your train of thought is still munching on a Jesus rancher. <laughs> take that out of, take that out of my head. But no, I mean, do, do you do you get what I'm do you get where I'm coming from on that? I, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I get it. I get it. I like how he was very diplomatic and didn't follow that up with. I mean, you're fucking insane, and I don't agree with you, but I get it. I, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, I'm going very Canadian this episode. <laughs> awesome. It's hard to be to be too judgmental with a stay puffed marshmallow man mask just like staring you in the face. I hear you. You're supposed to clear your brain. <sighs> you weren't supposed to think of anything. I couldn't help it. <laughs> hey, man, uh, he's a sailor. <laughs> uh, awesome. All right, well, there you go. So, again, ScreenCrush.com, courtesy of Jacob Hall. The difference between a great horror movie and a great Halloween movie. Feel free to go check it out and let us know what you think. Uh, either tweet us at the SLScast or send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. We would love to know. And thus concludes another Discussions with Matt and Tim. Thank you for listening to Discussions. <laughs> <laughs> maniacal laugh maniacal laugh maniacal laugh i love that i'm sorry i thought that was actually really funny from the muppets movie yeah yeah. The, yeah that was anyway <laughs> all right so next week is our 100th episode and we are going to have uh, basically a really cool retrospective for our bonus segment next week because it's not like you have 100th episodes every day and every especially week. if they are 100 seems to take a little over two years consecutive episodes that's right seems to take you know 54 or you know like what uh not 54. That's a 54 months. So, over two years is basically like, uh, you know, we're getting on to about two years here of nonstop episodes. Yikes. Yeah. So we're going to be taking a break for about 50 episodes and <laughs> we'll see you <laughs> in a, and we'll see you in a year. The year off. <laughs> we're going on vacation. Uh, anyways. All right. So that's what we're doing for next week. And. It's time to bring it home with the movie. I was watching Poltergeist last month. I got a question. Why don't white people just leave the house when there's a ghost in the house? Y'all stay in the house too fucking long. Get the fuck out of the house. Very simple. It's a ghost in the house. Get the fuck out. And not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and pull the guys, they invited more white people over. Sitting around going, I'll throw to Carol Ann's on the television set. I would have been gone. If I had a daughter been down the precinct saying, look, man, uh, I went home and my fucking daughter's in the TV set and shit, so I just fucking left. Um, you can have all that shit. I ain't going to back, back to the motherfucking. Uh, I just came down so when she ain't up at school, you th don't think I killed the bitch or nothing like that. But she is inside the TV set. You can have all that shit. Fuck it. Uh, Mr. Murphy, didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. I tried to save. I turned the channel. The shit didn't work. I got the fuck out. <laughs> Lee, the kid was only six years old in the movie. They couldn't have been too attached to her. <laughs> Lee, 
In the Amityville Horror, the ghost told them to get out the house. White people stayed in there. Now that's a hint and a half for your ass. A ghost say, get the fuck out. I would just tip the fuck out the door. They walked and looked in the toilet bowl. was blood in the toilet. They said, that's peculiar. I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. No spooky movie. Well, John Wick wasn't <laughs> spooky. No, not spooky at all. But we do have some wonderful spooky movies for you. But uh, all of the movies this week, John Wick, Annabelle, Ouija, the 2014 version that just came out, and Prince of Darkness from 1987. Uh, I assume we're going to start with John Wick? Yes. Alrighty. John Wick, 2014 American action thriller film directed by David Lech. And uh, Chad Stahelski. Um, and yeah, it stars uh, Keanu Reeves, Michael Nickfist, and uh, let's see, Ian McShane is in there, Willem Dafoe, uh, John Leguizamo, very briefly. Um, yeah, and some other people, character actors that, uh, and actresses you may or may not know. So, this is a guy who managed to escape the Russian mob, uh, I guess, or Ukrainian or whatever, Russian block area. Um, and he's just lost his wife. He's grieving for his wife. And, and his wife, not only is he just lost his wife, but his wife, in her infinite wisdom, sent him a dog. To help him grieve. And just after losing said wife and gaining said dog, some assholes come and steal his car and kill his dog. Uh, for Basically just because they think, he, you know, the guy thinks he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Why? Because my daddy's the crime boss. Well, remember how I said that Keanu Reeves plays John Wick and he escaped said life? Guess who he escaped from? Or retired from, not even escaped, retired from. Yeah, he retired from Daddy's from Daddy's crime syndicate. So, what happens when, you, when a man's lost everything and then you take his car and you kill his dog? Well, unlike every country song where he goes to the bar and cries about it, John Wick decides to destroy the entire syndicate. This movie, despite its ridiculous premise... And some of the cheesiest dialogue ever. And yet that cheesy dialogue is what propels the plot, the ridiculous plot. Is one of the it's the best action movie I have seen this year. I honestly cannot think of a better action movie. Um, it's just self-aware enough to know that it's being ridiculous, but they bounce back to say, look, it's ridiculous, but None of these people are really mentally balanced. And that's what makes it fun. And you also get to see this entire framework of a world built around a crime syndicate. And you've never really seen it in this aspect before. Neutral territories. Uh, you know, upper hands on certain things, lower hands on other things. Uh, rules, etiquette. All... all 
in this wonderful ballet and symphony of violence, uh, very much a la John Woo from the early 90s. The soundtrack is probably, this is the best soundtrack for an action film since I can honestly remember. I'm sure Tim will be able to jog my memory uh, to think of a better one, but I mean seriously. And the best part is, is, is like just with a truly amazing action film, when the soundtrack is a stripper soundtrack. So every song you think of, you could be at a strip club and then just, wow, watching women take off their clothes. Or chicks. Guys could do it too. Um, you know, and and yet if you listen closely to the lyrics of a lot of, of, of the majority of the songs, they actually have a purpose in the film, which is what a good soundtrack is supposed to do. The action is amazing, special effects are wonderful without being over the top and too flashy to the point that it's obviously CGI. You've got a good guy, well, let's not say good guy, you've got a protagonist who is a good, a very, very solid blend of impossible to kill, but not impossible to hit. Um, You've got uh, a good bad guy. I'm sorry, Michael Nickfist. I loved him. I discovered him in the original uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo way back, way back when. And I have found that I am actually liking him more as a bad guy than I am when he plays a straight man or a good guy. It's just, wow. It's, it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, the only problem that I have with this movie, again, is the dialogue and the fact that the whole plot is triggered around something so ridiculous. Even still, it's so much fun and the soundtrack is so good and the action is awesome and the way that they put the framework around this whole thing so that you never have to see cops, that's that's one of the coolest things, is that there's they do it in such a way that you don't see cops. For better or for worse. That it's still a hell of a ride. And I was surprised that it was getting moderately good press. I was like, really? This movie is going to actually have good... you know." So it's not like I went in expecting nothing. I was actually expecting something decent. And was very happily surprised. Four and a half stars. No shit. Four, I, I can't believe it. Four and a half stars. I am just as stunned as anybody else. Really, really enjoyed this movie. Totally go see this movie. Totally. Go see this movie. Have an amazing time. And tell him John Wick sent you. <laughs> Wait, are you comparing yourself to John Wick now? No, I'm just saying when you show up, tell him John Wick sent you. I mean, because apparently all he has to do is show up. Hey there, John Wick, you back? <laughs> it's the whole movie. Bobby Yeager. Yeah. Okay, so for an action movie, this movie has a ridiculous amount of headshots. That's right. I've, I don't think I've ever seen so many up-close and personal bullets taken to the head. I, I've, I haven't seen that many in, in any action movie. I don't think ever. In fact, there are so many that ScreenCrush.com published the, the <laughs> published the unofficial and highly dangerous John Wick drinking game. <laughs> And they have an important note here. Actually, you probably shouldn't partake in this drinking game. You may die. 
I'm going to read a couple. Uh, drink every time John Wick shoots someone in the head. Drink every time someone says John Wick's name. <laughs> drink every time John Wick acquires a new automobile. Uh, drink whenever Michael Nid, uh, Nivquist's villain drinks. You'll do this a lot. Drink every time Michael Nivquist, Nivquist's villain looks like he's ready to give up on life. You'll also do this a lot. Drink whenever you, are, you or your audience goes, aww, at John Wick's adorable beagle puppy. And I'm just going to read one more. Drink whenever a recognizable actor pops up for a brief but awesome cameo. <laughs> it's funny because it's actually so true. I usually think these things are pretty dumb, but I mean, it's this movie is a really good action movie. 4.5 for me as well. It's stylish, it's fun, but more importantly, it's smart. It's smart, and it also helps that Keanu Reeves, he's into martial arts, so I'm pretty sure that's him doing a number of his own stunts. So it's also fun seeing him stick these really badass moves, like whenever he lands a fall or lands a flip or whatever the hell he does, and how he poses with the gun out, so right when he lands and he poses somebody happens to like be coming right at him and he shoots him in the face it's just really cool and the movie doesn't kind of doesn't linger on blood and gore it just moves right on you know it carries on it has a nice fun flow to it and one of the great perks of the movie is that you do indeed have a really good soundtrack like matt said it's fun it's not quite techno it's not quite clubby it's just super entertaining and well well made it was like the trent reznor of action fight fight scene not quite techno not quite clubby john wick music yeah see that as a category on your on your itunes people don't because you, you won't find it there um but yeah it's you, you have a great bad guy a fantastic bad guy. Now, this is what I'm talking about. How Every time I, I complain about bad villains, last week we were talking about worst movie villains, this is exactly what I like, what I need. It's a it's a bad guy with a, with a, a that has a great character to him. There's not necessarily emotion. It's just it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch this guy get upset. It's fun to watch this guy think he has a handle on things but he doesn't uh, but he doesn't really think so i mean he's he's about maybe 65 percent sure he can take down john wick but there's still that 45 percent possibility that he is going to die more than likely by a bullet to the head i wanted this movie with high expectations i left pleased uh, the movie had a hundred percent fresh rating for weeks I think it's down to like 82 or 84 or something, which is still awfully high for a Keanu, not only for a Keanu Reeves movie, but for a Keanu Reeves action movie. That is high and it's great. I mean, I've always loved Keanu Reeves. And so this makes me thoroughly enjoy him more so. Uh, if I was to give or say anything negative about this movie, it would be this. The movie has a lot of ridiculousness to it. And a lot of the, the fun and excitement from this movie is fueled by that ridiculousness-ness-ness-ness. Uh, now, the Clive Owen movie in, uh, called Shoot'em Up, which is also another fantastic 
uh, more modern action movie with another great bad guy played by Paul Giamatti. That movie is ridiculous from the start to the very end, doesn't let up on the action, and to me, that movie was absolutely perfect. Uh, Five-star movie, and I thought... John Wick was a slightly more mature version of it, but it still needed, like, the extra... I I mean, I think it was just missing the bullseye of the ridiculousness factor that would have propelled this movie into complete and total awesomeness, you know? But again, 4.5, that's still great. It's still a really good movie. Go see it. Go see it in IMAX, which I did. Had a good time. It's worth the $13, $14, for sure. And I gotta say, John Wick totally felt like a big F you to Taken. And I am so okay with that. So 4.5 all around. Right on. All right. So now that we've gotten the non-horror stuff out of the way, I guess it's time for our final horror series for this wonderful month of October. Can you, can you possess yourself into the possession mode? Say what, Maha? Well, I mean, these are possession movies. You have to introduce oh, it like, yeah. like you're being oh. exercised or something. Oh, mm, okay. Uh, the possession movies. We're going to watch Annabelle. This is Michelle who says, I was watching a horror movie the other day on the recommendation of others. It was rather strange and awfully macabre. And then this past Sunday, I got into an accident leaving church. Did watching that creepy movie cause a curse or the Lord's protection to be lifted from me? Did I grieve the Holy Spirit by watching this series? A few years ago, I heard about a teenage girl who was demon-possessed. And people began to deal with the demon and try to cast it out. And you know what the demon said? I had permission. And the permission was granted when this child had gone to some double X-rated movie or whatever it was and had allowed this thing to come into her. I know this sounds kind of otherworldly, but that's the way it is. So could it have happened to you? Yes, I don't think it did, but it could have. But this thing may be living around you, and what you need to do again is speak it, command this thing to leave, and ask God to forgive you. Uh, I, I know that's that's weird, but uh, these things can happen, and uh, I, I think some of these producers, who knows what influences are into them, but some of these these movies are, you said macabre, it's a good word for it, and uh, so... I just think, in the name of Jesus, declare your victory and keep going on. I don't think that you've been demon-possessed. I don't think anything has happened to you. But nevertheless, declare victory and plead the blood of Jesus Christ over your life. How's that? Is that good? (laughs) Uh, I don't don't know. That's that's all I got. Did you choke on something? No, I, I don't know. I was just trying to go for some kind of demon thing. I imagine I achieved that. You did. Yeah. <sighs> so, we do have 2014's Annabelle. Prequel to The Conjuring. Prequel spinoff, whatever, of The Conjuring. Uh, 1987's Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter flick um, about the jar of Antichrist in the basement of a church. And 2014's Ouija. 
So where do you want to start? You no, know, I found a lot of things in the basement of churches, and it was never a jar of Antichrist. <laughs> Can you? Is it found right next to the to the Christ lollipops? <laughs> they are Jesus ranchers. Jeez, all right, sorry. <laughs> Get it right, damn it! Christ in a jar. <laughs> Liquid Satan, the next cool thing. Uh, you know, yeah, let's start right. off with... You're about a quart low on Antichrist. Let me go, <laughs> <laughs> Let me go fetch a jar of Antichrist right quick. Uh... <laughs> Honey, my Prius is running low. Uh, I can't find yeah. a charger, a, a charge station anywhere. Well... Oh, no, Prius. Prius actually requires anti-God, which is good because there's that in this movie as well. <laughs> <laughs> Should we start oh, with Prince of Darkness then? I guess we should. Let's start with Prince of Darkness. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to go to hell for that bit. <sighs> and in the immortal words of Dennis Leary, you're all coming with us. No, I swear to God we didn't laugh at that bit, Jesus. I swear to God. Yes, you are. Get on the bus with Quentin Cousignard and Scorsese. You're going to fucking hell. <laughs> um, Scor- all right. Scorsese is because yeah. of his cocaine addiction, addiction in the <laughs> 70s and 80s and for making Wolf of Wall Street. Um, it, it's entirely possible. It is entirely yeah. possible. Well, I don't know, but I'm I am canoeing to hell. That well, that was I, like I said, I was crediting Dennis Leary. I was it was a bastardized quote from No Cure for Cancer. So anyway, uh, oh d- yeah, Prince of Darkness. Don't, don't talk about cancer. I draw the oh. line there. Oh my bad. <laughs> no. uh, let's see here. So uh, Prince of Darkness, 1987 horror film, uh, directed by John Carpenter. Also written by John Carpenter under a uh, pseudonym, and um, yeah, apparently this is part of what he refers to as his apocalypse trilogy, which began with the Thing and concludes uh, the Thing from 1982, and then concludes with In the Mouth of Madness from 1980. I'm sorry, 1995. Um, and again, this is about a. It's a story about a priest who invites some professor, who invites a professor and some students down to basically investigate a mysterious liquid in the basement of a church. Now, um, this cylinder with the green liquid is literally supposed to be the physical embodiment of the Antichrist, and um, through the machinations of the Antichrist, we find that. Uh, the Antichrist is able to manipulate the people in the building, possess the people around the building, to to basically bring about the anti-god. And, of course, just like any good horror movie, you have to bring in some good science fiction. And the anti-god is possessed of antimatter, lives in the world of antimatter. So look out, Jordy! <clears throat> um, you know, this is this is what Star Trek's going to come to. Now, um, this movie is probably, I am not a super huge fan of John Carpenter. I respect his work, and there are certain films that I really like, um, but I am not the, I am not just the end-all be-all of fans of John Carpenter. This is probably about one of my favorite movies, though. Um, it's just completely inventive. For me, up there with Vampires. James Woods vampires just it's fun when he turns some shit on its head in a way that you haven't really seen it before and when he is successfully able to do these things you're just kind of left going wow that was fucking cool this is one of those movies 
definitely suffers from 80s cheese. Um, so it hasn't aged amazingly, but it's not aged poorly enough that you're going to hold it against it. You'll just, I mean, just like most things, you'll be able to tell that it's aged, but you're not going to sit there and go, oh, wow, what the crap is this? It's fun to actually watch the somewhat psychedelic uh, dream effects that they have in this film. It's fun to watch a jar of Antichrist do its work. Um, it, and, you know, mouth shots are always great. Um, yeah, I, I gotta say that uh, while the movie does definitely feel... By the time you actually get to the reveal of the anti-god and all this kind of stuff, it does feel, even for John Carpenter movies, a little over the top. Um, it's still a hell of a lot of fun. And it's still very creepy and gives off just that really good vibe that only John Carpenter can give. So, four stars, really like this movie, would recommend... What do you say, Tim? The first 11 minutes of this movie com is comprised of credits, op or like opening titles, and a lot of scientific jargon that doesn't make any sense, nor does it really go really anywhere. Now, after 11 minutes, the titles stop, you know, finish up, but the technical scientific jargon keeps going on. And it goes on for the first half of the movie. And, and, it, and it's annoying as shit because you have a movie that is shot beautifully. Uh, the, the effects are actually really good. Especially, I mean, I, to me, it holds up. The, the entire movie as a whole, the look of it, holds up now, even. Uh, great, really good cinematography. I love the widescreen and I, the editing of it. It was just a, a really neat movie to look at. So when you have dialogue that doesn't feel like it's really going anywhere, like it's, it feels like filler, but the backdrop, you know, what you're looking at is is fantastic. It's just annoying as shit. But then you get to the lad, the second half of the movie, when finally you you get out of the repetitious feeling of. Okay, well, somebody's dying. Let's cut to the technical jargon. Cut back. Oh, look, somebody else is about to get possessed. Go back to the technical jargon. Come back. Oh, somebody else is going to get possessed. And, you know, again, it becomes routine feeling. The story moves up, kicks, kicks in, you know. It, 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 it kind of kicks into 11. And so the last maybe 35, 40 minutes of the movie... I'll be not, I'll say 45, 50 minutes of the movie, is actually really good. It's very engaging, entertaining. The characters are still goofy as fuck, but it's really good storytelling. And talk about the makeup effects. Like the, I forget the character's name, but she has no skin, and it's the red, the, red, the blood and the red, uh, it's just, and the eyes are just bulging out. Fantastic special effects. And what's even better is that, I'm not, it's not like you watch... Ghostbusters or any other movie where the effects really don't hold up uh, nowadays, they used so many practical effects like whenever she they people start when people go through the mirrors or even the uh, within the mirror where you see the devil or the hand of the devil kind of like drifting through this this clear gooey stuff or whatever it could be water I don't know what it is ectoplasm who knows 
it all looks really, really good. You know, so they, they did, I mean, they did so much right with this movie, so it's hard not to fully hate it. But this is a three-star movie for me, because, again, the last 45, 50 minutes of the movie, or 40, 45 minutes of the movie, is quite entertaining. It sucks you in. You actually want to see what's going to happen next. But it's hard to tell if that's really the good good filmmaking or, like, aesthetically pleasing to, to look at, you know? It's hard. Or it could be a mixture of both. I'm thinking it's a mixture of both. So, again, three stars, fantastic makeup effects and visuals, and overall, I thought the, the movie aged pretty well, which I think says quite a lot since it's from 1987. So, three-star movie for me, Prince of Darkness. Right on, right on. Okay, so where do you want to turn? you want to go Annabelle or do you want to go Ouija? Uh, let's go with Annabelle. All right. Saving the best for last, are you? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, all right. So, 2014 Annabelle, 2014 American supernatural horror film. Uh, it's directed by John R. Leonetti and produced by James Wan, who, of course, directed Conjuring and in the first installment of Insidious. Um, this particular movie is a prequel slash spinoff of The Conjuring, which basically it references the doll, the Annabelle doll that you see in The Conjuring and tells the story of how Annabelle became a possessed doll. Now, this movie, I thought, was pr- pretty inventive and had good scare potential throughout um, and definitely hit high marks for me in terms of really actually thrilling you and making you go, oh dear God, what's going to happen next? But not in the sarcastic way, but in the, you know, well, what are they going to put this woman through now? Um, I thought that there was definitely a lot of potential to be had in the story itself behind what they were doing. They took a very specific time in America uh, which this movie takes place in 1970 when people were afraid of the occult Um, now they weren't just afraid of the occult overall but they were also afraid of cults basically led by people like Charles Manson now you had the Tate murders um that were happening, and this movie plays on that, and then also goes into even added stuff when we start talking about church versus, uh, you know, demons and the devil and everything, uh, and how these kinds of possessions work, and what's really made, what's really at stake here. All of these things really do build suspense in a proper way, and really kind of like make you go, wow, this kind of gets scary. But then it does two very specific things that really, really hurt this film for me. First of all, in case you haven't figured it out, this is about demon possession. It's a possessed fucking doll. Um, so naturally, you have to have a demon. The problem is, is that they rip this shit directly from Insidious. Directly from Insidious. And it doesn't matter that they did some different things with it and a couple of pretty inventive things I must say it's just that they 
pulled it directly from his... And I know, again, Tim reminded me of this, that James Wan was also involved in the first Insidious. But even still, different franchise. You have to... You have to remove yourself from that franchise and just follow your own you know follow your own path so that really hurt it because all every time that it pops up instead of scaring me uh because like most supernatural thrillers of this ilk it's pretty predictable still still thrilling and scary to some degree but predictable instead of it scaring you You'll get that initial little, but then you're like, ah, you've seen it before, so it takes, so you you're not you're not invested in it. The other thing is is the ending. I'm sorry, folks. I'm I don't generally spoil movies. You guys know that about me, but I made a promise to Tim. The move, the ending of the movie. It's really got an amazing buildup. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are they going to do? How are they going to solve this? Because they really boxed it into a really cool corner of somebody's got to die. And so you're like, oh my gosh, how are they going to figure this out? How are they going to get around it? Is there a loophole? Because you don't know about the, of any possible loopholes. And then you, and then basically this lady offs herself to save the to save the family and the stupid thing is it's like she had tried to commit suicide earlier they they talk about a time when she tried to commit suicide and her daughter told her you know you're you're not supposed to die whatever and so she's all gets up at the end of the fucking movie this lady and she's all like i figured out why i wasn't supposed to kill myself it's because i was supposed to kill myself and then she kills herself i don't what i mean i was i could not fucking believe what i was like what a fucking lame ass ending i was yeah so it really took it out it really took that out for me um so aside from the blatant insidious ripoff and the end of the film thought the movie was good i I did i really thought the movie was good um but yeah so just shy of really liking it 3.75 and I know, Tim, you didn't enjoy it as much as I did, so tell us why. <laughs> oh, well, it doesn't matter what I say, because I think uh, people have already switched off the <laughs> exit out of the episode once they heard your impersonation. So, Annabelle, there is a lot to like about this movie, and it gives you a lot to think about. And that's a good thing, but... You're not really supposed to be doing that with with a horror with I think what they were trying to achieve with this movie. Like they were they were trying to go the whole exorcist route where there's more of a story, uh, but whenever you do get to the horror scary parts, it's more of like terror and terrifying. And it works with Insidious. Because Insidious is more of like a is like a fantasy horror movie. And so it had a fantasy quality to it, with the whole dream and the darkness thingamabob. It worked for that movie. The Conjuring, or excuse me, Annabelle, not so much. The movie has a good build-up and good tension, but all of that gets cut off when they go into a scene that is just like a scene from a couple, you know, a couple scenes ago. You know, it always, it, it everything uh, always circles around 
to the lady being alone in her bedroom, or the lady being alone in her living room, or the lady being alone trying to get her mind off something, or the lady and the husband being alone and spending the afternoon together. Yeah, just stuff like that. And it just, again, like what I was saying about Prince of Darkness, it gets a little bit repetitious. Yes, the movie is shot wonderfully. Technically, it's really cool. There's not a bad actor in the movie, which I was kind of surprised because there were a lot of some of the reviews that I've read about it. People were saying how bad the actor, the guy who plays the husband is. It's like he actually was pretty good. Not bad. Costumes were great. I definitely like the whole uh, cult part of the story where, uh, you know, they were trying to go off of like a, a, a historical fear of that time of people being afraid of the Manson murders and all that jazz. So it's just very, especially in California where this movie is based, you know, a lot of new age, you know, religious cults were coming about in the in the. Uh, early 60s throughout the 70s and whatnot so it's just very interesting from a historical point of view seeing them uh, incorporate this into a what you would think was just going to be a standard generic horror film but there's actually a lot of thought that went into the writing in hopes to get across to the audience that some thought was actually put into the movie but honestly when it comes down to it you have to judge the horror aspect of the film and it doesn't deliver. I can think of two scenes in the movie, and I'm not saying moments, but two legitimate scares in the movie that actually worked. One involves her going down into the basement, which, again, falls into the repetitiousness of, uh, of what Matt was saying with Insidious. And another scenario that happens uh, you know, later on in the movie that involves the doll itself. Those were well executed, but it left you wanting more. And that's where it underperforms. And it's kind of a shame, really, because uh, this movie was definitely trying to capitalize off The Conjuring. You know, that I mean, in the, you, if you look at the poster or the previews for the movie, it was billed as The Conjuring's Annabelle. So I guess that could have been... A, a red flag right there that they were trying to capitalize off the conjuring to market Annabelle, but uh, oh well. I was still surprised. I give this movie 2.75 to 3 stars. I really can't make up my mind. I wrote down 3 ish on here. So if you look at the website, it might be 2.75 or it might be 3. Yeah, that's where I land. Alright, so. Looks like last but not least, we have 2014's Ouija. Uh, yeah, it's Hasbro's first attempt at uh, branding a horror movie. And I'm going to tell them right now, they should stop. They should just stop now. Um, unfortunately, it was a low enough budget that um, it's made money, so I'm sure there will probably be sequels, but... Um, Alright, so basically, girl basically mysteriously dies, friends hold a seance using a Ouija board to try and figure out what the hell happened to her, craziness and zaniness and madness ensues. Um, I don't really have a lot to say about this movie. I was giving Tim a hard time about it and said, how, how could he not enjoy such a fine piece of cinematic history, but I was laughing in the pre-show and I couldn't even get that out with a straight face. Um... I have a feeling I'm not going to have hated it as much as Tim, but 
I really didn't like this movie. Um, I'll let Tim tell you about the one good... There's one good scare um, in it. Other than that, it's... It's not even that it's terribly acted. It's just poorly written, a complete trope, and not scary. It's just not scary. It's just, yeah, it's just kind of a waste of time. So, two stars. Did not like it. Go ahead, Tim. Bring us home, sir. Hey, ooh, Ouija, or Ouija, or Squeegee. Uh, it could have been called Squeegee for all I care. And the movie probably would have been a little bit more entertaining because there would have been that mysteriousness of why is it called squeegee? Why? There has to be a reasoning. Until the ending and you realize, oh wait, it doesn't matter if it was called squeegee or Ouija, there was no point to the movie whatsoever. The movie was not acted well. I, the only person I liked was the main girl, and I feel kind of bad for her in a way. Olivia Cook. She plays Lane Morris in this movie. Uh, if you are a fan of the show Bates Motel and A&E, she is a part of that show. She's the girl with the, uh, I forgot what disease or what, you know, ail- ailment she had or has where she has the, has to use the breathing device and all that jazz. She's a really good actress. She belonged in this movie. She was a good choice to play this movie. And it was, God, it was just rough watching her because she was the only one trying to be convincing. That goes for the story and the other actors alike. Um, one big downfall of this movie is that it was trying to be a very, a really dumbed down version of Scream. All these best friends together, one of their friends dies and they're trying to solve it together. And they fall through, and all these characters, or the story, falls into not only the horror genre cliches, or, or the tropes or whatever, but it falls into every single scream trope or cliche, believe it or not. That includes boy falling into pool, and for some reason, it has a pool cover on it. And the person, you know, gets tangled up in the pool cover and drowns. It felt like in this movie, some dipshit had a had a big-ass fucking checklist. And they were just checking off all the horror cliches. Like, you know what, did we have a pool scene yet? Oh, no, Mark, we, we, didn't, we didn't have that. Well... You know, I think we should, but you know what? We should, uh, check, we, I think we need to check off that it has a pool cover. We, I, can we fit that into our budget? Oh, yeah, we, we do. We have, we have those handy for every single goddamn horror movie. We have a pool and a pool cover handy. So there was things like that, including, where's the police? Where are the parents? Just all that stuff doesn't make sense. And, like, the movie was so eager to get to the next... airplane i heard the airplane finally i heard the airplane <laughs> i think that was universal like patrolling hollywood like somebody talking shit about our multi-million dollar film no it's probably hasbro man they don't fuck around <laughs> they're gonna start dropping ouija boards on me uh what was i saying uh pool cover what's that pool cover pool and pool oh, cover. I, was go- I was trying to get off that and go go to something else Oh, my bad. List of cliches. 
uh, pool cover. You have to have the Tangina character. Yeah, that Hispanic woman had the hair of Tangina from Poltergeist. Because you have to know that they were trying to rip that off or, you know, a little tip of the hat to Tangina. Because I don't think I've ever seen any woman with that haircut in modern day America. Especially in upstate America where this movie is taking taking place. And I guess really the last thing I can say about this movie is that they should have just called this movie Shit Moves Mysteriously or Shit Moves on its own because that's the major about 99.8% of the of the jolts in this movie. They are jolts. They are mild jolts, but yet people will get jolty from them. Uh things just move. It's bad. There's no it, there's nothing to it. There's no atmosphere to the movement. It just shit just moves. Uh, they should call the sequel Ouija. More shit moves, and just goes on from there. Even more shit moves. Uh, but really, the only good scare about this movie, and I hate to ruin it because I know some guys. I will I will call you out, guys. Or might will probably get dragged to go and see this movie, or feel reluctant to see this movie. And I am probably going to be ruining the only good part about this movie, the only good scare, and it comes at the end. The end, and it only lasts maybe four seconds, but that's really the only time there is like a successful build-up where you know something's going to happen, and you know when it does happen, it's going to be creepy. So in that regards, this movie deserves its one star for me. Um, it did some things right. Uh, whenever they stuck with practical effects, it was all right. Uh, but when they get went through like really shitty, stupid CGI effects, like with the face getting all stitched up and the eyes going white, it was way too hokey. And it, it, it was just ridiculous. It's like you would think people would learn by now how to at least make a two-star horror movie or a 2.5-star horror movie. But I guess not. So one star for me. All right, and that brings us to the end of the Hollywood Horror Cast 2. We hope you've had a screaming good time. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Okay, so next week, we're back to normal, more or less. Except it's our 100th episode, so we're very excited about our special bonus segment, uh, you know, reflecting over the last 100 years or episodes. Uh, but the flicks for next week are going to be Nightcrawler, Cuban Fury, and Killing Them Softly. So, that brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? That it does. Spiel on. Yes, sir. All right. Well, the music that you've been listening to for the majority of the podcast has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace, as always, for our uh, Hollywood horror movie <laughs> for the horror movies. The music there is from Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com. 
As for us, we are still, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us out at slscast.com. You can even send us an email to the show, all one word, the show at slscast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can even follow me, Matt, on Twitter at nittwit12345. You can follow the Yellow Brick Road and try and find Tim on Twitter. And, of course, you can always find us on Facebook by searching the SLS Cast. And, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. And this is Matt saying that thanks to Jean-Claude Van Damme, I get to say this. I'm one of the most sensitive human beings on Earth, and I know it. And this is Tim saying, have a fun, safe, and happy All Hallows Eve. And I, and I guess that's it. I mean, you know. Sponsored by... What was the Jesus sucker? <laughs> Jesus Ranchers? Jesus Ranchers. <laughs> Sponsored by Jesus Ranchers. Gotta get to the store, gotta buy yourself a Jesus Rancher. Lick it. Jesus lick Rancher. It. Oh, Jesus Rancher. Lick it. Lick it. Lick that Jesus Rancher. Now, available in all sorts of fun and wacky, crazy flavors. You got wacky watermelon Jesus Rancher. You got <laughs> creamy grapefruited with the blood of Christ inside the cross, Rancher. <laughs> no, no. Can you come up with any fun and exciting... Hey, I invented Jesus Ranchers. I'm done. I did my part, motherfucker. <laughs> Give me my 80% royalty and come up with something. Uh, yeah. Quick, somebody get a hold of Mad Men. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.